So here we are, 3.23 in the afternoon, and uh, going to talk Q&A here. The first question, we'll put it up on the screen, it says, Tim spoke on encountering God's presence. How does this re relate with preaching to the table? Tim spoke on encountering God's presence. How does this relate with preaching to the table? Go ahead, Tim. <laughs> now, you, you may not know this, but Tim is an Anglican priest in, in the Church of England, so... Vicar, over to you. Well, it's a great question. I, I think, um, I mean, you I, in many ways answered it about the realizing the table is about an encounter. And again, we, we were talking at our table about how um, the danger is we, we, we always think it's either or. Yeah. And uh, the, the danger of, okay, encountering space, the spirit, is we then sort of rip up any set plans or agenda and uh, it all gets very weird and kooky. And actually what we end up with is a different kind of formula, an yeah. unplanned formula, which is probably one of the worst kinds of formulas you could ever have. So I, I think what we're talking about is more um, we believe God's spirit can lead yeah. and inspire in the preparation. And, and again, the joy of team thinking about um, themes and how we want to present truths around the love of Christ and mm -hmm. sacrifice and all of that. But I, I think what I was... What I'm trying to encourage in our congregation in Birmingham is how can we just be sensitive to what God's doing um, in the midst of, often it will be, you know, going through these, you know, times of sung worship, preaching the gospel. We also do communion, which again are amazing moments to gather together. Um, so one other thing I'd, I'd say, I've noticed as well, one of the dangers can be we, we expect the leader to be the one person who discerns what the Spirit is doing, which I don't actually think is a massively biblical model. You know, in the New Testament, early church, Ephesians talks about, you know, everyone coming together, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. And I know as a worship leader, one of the things I noticed was um, God is often moving amongst his people. And what I tried to grow in was not sort of forcing something on his people, but recognizing when God was moving and creating space for that. So simple things like we sometimes... Just bring the music down and it might be you just begin to hear people quietly singing out or speaking out praise. You feel this kind of, the room almost like pregnant with uh, wanting to just move beyond set songs on the screen and do their own thing. And so be trying to say, hey, well look, let's just begin to sing our own songs of worship. So I think um, the danger of having a glass wall between the stage and the congregation can be really dangerous. So even practical things like I'll try and make sure we can see the congregation, you can hear the congregation, so you can discern what God's Spirit is doing there. Yeah, Tim spoke on encountering God's presence. How does this relate with preaching to the table? Every week as we end the Friday night service, I'm very aware of the fact that if the Spirit of God does not meet us in this moment, this is going to be really strange. It's some bread and some juice. Like bread and juice? What are we doing? It's actually, it's a, on Sundays, it's just a little bitty cracker. Like, you could choke on this thing. Like, it's, like, this isn't even really, this is a little cracker. What is going on here? Except that if the Spirit meets us here, there's a moment of encounter. There's a moment of power. And Jesus, what I'm always trying to do is to get people to hear the very words of Jesus. On the night the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Can we hear that word tonight? You know, that's what I'm always thinking. And people, you come in here and your life is broken and you're, and you're malnourished in the spirit. 
And tonight, Jesus says, this is my body. It's broken for you. Do take this and eat. I'm here for you. And so what we're saying at every moment along the way is come Holy Spirit and fill this moment up. Because if you don't, it's just bread and it's just juice. But if Holy Spirit, you encounter us here, then we we will have what we need. So I think the table has to be a place of encounter. And just a little to fill out kind of the imagination of this. I I was at Tim's church a couple weeks ago. uh, And on a Sunday evening service, so they have this worship time. It's an amazing moment. And out of it, someone had a word. And they said, I, I feel like we're supposed to pray for people with this and this and this. And there was a vision. And so they just had, they stopped and had prayer and ministry time right then and there. And then the service kept moving. And there was a great message. Tim's wife spoke. Uh, and, then, and then after that, Tim came up and led everyone to the table. So again, I think we create these false uh, uh, dichotomies. Of like, oh, it's either this or it's this. But the two can come together. I do want to say... There's a difference between making the two things a dichotomy versus holding two things in tension. Okay, so a dichotomy is these, these, these two things are separate and they're totally different. We don't want dichotomies. But we do often have to hold two things in tension. A guitar string makes music because it's in the right kind of tension, right? right. So I, we were talking at our table about the tension between there is a kind of predictability that is a, a picture of God's faithfulness. You're faithful as the morning sun. So there are rhythms and predictable things that happen in church that, are, that speak to people of the faithfulness of God. And then there are the unpredictable, sort of the disruptive or unexpected things that speak of the, the freshness and the power of God. And we're trying to hold both these things together. Next question, what first steps do you suggest in seeking to restructure liturgies for encounters at the table and with the Trinity? I'm going to give it to someone who's got a doctrine in something. <laughs> well, the, the, the thing is, Daniel, I mean, Daniel, you should jump in on this and say how you do this on Friday nights. But I think the, this already exists. Like, truly, guys, you don't have to reinvent this. But you also don't have to copy and paste. So this is, again, this is the thing that we're, we're tempted to either extreme. Either I'm just going to copy and paste or I'm going to reinvent the wheel. So one of the things that I've tried to do is to look at some of the liturgies that lead up to communion. You can find uh, bcponline.org is the, is the Anglican ones. And you can find all those. And what I try to do is look for the inner logic of the liturgy and then recontextualize that for your people by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see what I'm saying? By the Spirit's leading. So I'm looking for the inner logic of it, and then I'm saying, Lord, how does this work for us? So maybe we won't say that. Maybe we'll say this this way. Maybe we'll say that. But I'm looking for that inner logic. Well, liturgy, it's important to remember that liturgy just means the work of the people. Like, that's hugely important. I think so many of us hear liturgy and we get scared. It's like, oh, my goodness, this is what people have done for a long time, and it's ancient, and I don't know what it is that... The work of the people, how do we get this in the hands of the people? And so as a pastor, every week I'm thinking, how can I call the people to respond? So I'm looking to create moments of, okay, is anyone sick in here? If you are, hey, does anyone need prayer? Raise your hand. Okay, now people of God, circle them up. And you pray for them. In the room, you pray for them. Because this leads right to the Trinity. If God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then our, our meetings have to be relational. Our meetings have to be where we look people in the eye, where we touch people on the shoulder, where we speak grace and life and healing over people. And so as the pastor, simply what I'm trying to do is get people involved. Instead of sitting around and watching, I want people to be participants in the work of the Spirit in every one of our meetings. And so I'm looking for ways to get people face-to-face, encountering each other and encountering the, the relational God. 
How do you balance structure in your Sunday morning services while also allowing room for spontaneity and Holy Spirit activity? I think we've done some of that, but how do you create space for both? Um, well, we were just even talking at our table about this. Um, and I was telling the guys this story, like of, um, you know, our church, we do have like a, a, a plan. And I think there is something really great about preparing and bringing excellence and being a great steward of like, of, like people's time and, like, and of like the space that you have. But I think not being married to it is really important. And I said, you know, for me, one of the things, I think insecurity in the church is at an all-time high because so much of it is people are looking to the platform as an outlet for their gifting when that's just really not... I mean, if you're only thinking that big, then it's pretty small. Um, so we have, like, people who are, like, wrestling sometimes with, like, well, but I've prepared, and so I want to do what I want to do. And so I, I d- like, sure, the Holy Spirit's doing something, but i prepared, and so I want to do what I want to do. And I'm like, well, cool, but, like, you're killing what, what he's doing. So I think it's great to pre- prepare, but I think it's great to not be married to it and to come at everything with an open hand. You know, um, I was saying to the guys this story of like, you know, at our church in Nashville, you know, we, we, you know, our pastor, one of our pastors, Alex, she'd prepared this amazing message, which she ended up preaching a couple of weeks later, and it was like a game changer for the moment that she preached it. But she'd prepared this great message, and during the worship, the time of worship, her 11-year-old gets fully filled, just like without anyone praying for her, gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and starts speaking in tongues. And so 11-year-old comes up and is crying and said, Mama, I just got filled with the Holy Spirit, like right before Alex goes on, on stage to preach. And Alex is like, that's amazing. You should tell the congregation. Um, and so she gets up and she's like, well, in, in worship, I just got filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, and everyone's like, well, it's adorable. She's 11. She got filled with the Holy Spirit. It's so adorable. And I'm like, no, it's actually amazing. And actually God's using her to do something in the service. And so Alex is like, okay, go sit down. And she's like, actually, you know what? No, stay up here. Who wants to get filled with the Holy Spirit? I mean, the whole service changed. She like put her notes away and like that was the rest of the service, was praying for people to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And like, I mean, they prayed for like 80 people and 70, 80 of them got filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, so God was doing something and just not being married to like, well, I've prepared and my time's valuable and my gift's valuable. Yeah, your gift's valuable. I promise you, God will give you another opportunity. Um, but just... Come into everything with like open hands. I think the other thing, uh, we've got to foster a culture that um, is open to this. I think sometimes yeah. we think it just will all happen on a Sunday uh, service. No. And that actually, um, sometimes that's not the best place to grow in what it looks like right. to be open, to flow with what God is doing. And so one of the things we talk about having, um, where's the radical fringe? It's not Glenn's haircut. But where's the, where's the, those, the, the places on the outskirts where we can really experiment and take lots of risks? Um, so one of the things we do is we do these nights called Kingdom Come and prayer and worship and they're much more flowing and it's allowing people to come up and I think God might be saying this, releasing of the prophetic, but it's it's much safer, you know, it's a smaller number of people coming, it's people who are really up for it um, and, and it's safe. I mean, one of the things we're doing at the moment, because again, we're aware that we, we, we have so many ways of trying to manufacture things in the church. So we, we've started our last two with nothing, so... Um, we set up some instruments and there'd be about 150 people and say, right, we're not going to do any songs to warm us up, you know, to get the spiritual juices flowing. We're just going to wait 
And if you've got, someone's got a song they want to sing or if a musician's got a melody they want to play, go for it. I mean, usually 10 minutes of waiting in excruciating awkwardness. But again, I think that's really healthy. You know, I think in my marriage, um, not everything is scripted in terms of our conversation. There are, you know, awkward silences. But actually, as you fall in love, the silences aren't so awkward, are they? They're beautiful. So, um, and then, then what would happen each time is someone begins to sing something. And it begins to unlock something because what you're hearing isn't this sort of amazingly crafted thing. It's just from the depths of someone's heart. Um, So I think for your churches, if you're thinking, I'd love us to move more into this, having a bit more freedom. Maybe the starting point is with your worship team and gathering a bunch of people. Say, we're just going to worship freely. Uh, Maybe we're going to have some prayer meetings uh, for those who are up for it. And then just see how that begins to impact the culture of your Sunday services. That's great. Next question, Glenn and team. How do the postures of remembering, anticipating, and encountering in the moment play a role in your sermon preparation? Great, great question. I mean, I think in the question is the answer. It it does play a role. Um, But how is different each week, right? I mean, it's different in the text and and it's different in the Holy Spirit. I mean, Daniel talks a lot about... Um, sometimes you just have to walk away from the text. You, know, you, just, you were just saying that the other day to someone like, you, you've done your study, you've, you've done all the commentary reading and all this stuff. And sometimes for me and for Daniel as well, you, you, it's not until you close it and walk away. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm driving or I'm, uh, you know, w- going for a walk and you're, you know, there's even uh, scientific reasons why that is the case. When you're going for a walk, your brain disentangles and you're able all of a sudden to see clearly. And then I, I, you remember, you realize, wait a minute, this is, for me, there's a, there's a moment in every sermon that I mark in my outline as this is the gospel moment. So this is where I make the move from the text toward Christ and the Spirit. So, um, so I, I mean, that's going to look different week to week and that's going to look different for you, but it's just the reflecting on but it. But I think every sermon, is it, it, there has to be a past, present, and future orientation in every sermon. The past is given to us in the text. Yeah. Here's what Hagar and Sarah and Abram and Ishmael, Genesis 18. Okay, we know that. But then maybe we aren't too much different than they are. How, how have we taken the story into our own hands? How have we manipulated God's plan? How have we created our own plan Bs? So there's a past element. There's a present moment where the spirit gets to us. But, but there's this future moment when the spirit breaks in on us and he comes to heal us and he comes to redeem us and he comes to make us new. And in the end, one day, all of this rebellion and all of this sin and all of this death that we have so signed on for will be crushed when Jesus returns. And so there's this past, present, and future orientation in all of our sermons. And so I, I really actually love that as a framework for it. Because if all I do is tell you about Abram and Sarai and Ishmael and Hagar... That's just kind of a history lesson, and it doesn't really address what's going on in our own hearts, and it certainly doesn't tell us what God in Christ has come to do about that for us. Amazing. And I want to just pull one thing out that he said that I think is really huge, is that future piece. So part, uh, in my other part of my life, I do, I'm doing some research on how hope is experienced in our worship context. And one of the, one of the discouraging things is we actually don't have much of a future orientation in our services. We actually hope, people say the word hope all the time. Christians love the word hope. But really what they mean is now. What they really mean is God has given me so much hope that I can get through my day at my job tomorrow. That is not hope. That's optimism. That's positivity. That's a good feeling. But Christian hope 
is eschatological. Christian hope points us toward the end of it all. The end of the end of the end. The feast. And not enough songs point us that way and not enough sermons point us that way. So Daniel's talking about the mistake of making the text a history lesson. But there's another mistake where the text just becomes a devotional. Where it's like, and where is God going to do your miracle? And where is God, how are you going to, you know, what's your Ishmael and all this stuff? And it's like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. But I'm, I'm telling you, there is a not yetness to our faith. And if we don't remind people that as good as tomorrow is, it'll never be better than what is coming. As good as the moment is, it'll never be as good as what's coming. So we have to teach people to hope. Great question coming. How can we begin to cultivate the practice of the gifts of the Spirit in a congregation where this is new and uncomfortable? Really great question. Um, well, I think um, this is where, again, the, the, the connection between the leadership team is really important. Because I think it's got to start with teaching. Yeah. It's got to start with unpacking the Word. I, I, I think... Um, yeah, biblically explaining what we believe about the gifts of the Spirit. But then also um, giving people an opportunity to begin in a very normal way. I think one of the tragedies has been we've um, over-spiritualized the gifts of the Spirit or it's been unpacked in, in contexts that feel very hyped or very um, forced. You know, people maybe feel hurt that they've been manipulated into something. So then we've got to do everything we can to just make it so normal, you know, the, the naturally supernatural. And, um, but the truth is there, there is a moment where it is risky. It is a bit uncomfortable. So acknowledging that. Also, I think the other thing we've got to do is, um, one of our pastors has a good phrase, that, you know, we need to enter this at whatever level we feel comfortable. You know, we don't have to be these kind of high, you know, proficient Christians, super Christians to have a go. You know, wh at whatever level you feel comfortable with, have a go. Yeah. You know, and, and just to really explain it in a really normal way and then create space for it. Yeah. That's really good. Um, I would say that as, as the leader in the congregation, you just begin to practice it. And a lot of times we, we can help people by... Um, demystifying it a little bit. First uh, Corinthians 14, 1 through 3 talks about prophecy as strengthening, encouraging, and comforting God's people. We think of prophecy through the Old Testament lens of coming in and rebuking people and calling down fire and all this stuff. And, and actually in the New Testament, prophecy becomes this real great encouragement that comes along to confirm what God is saying by His Spirit. And so to stand up on the stage and say, here's what prophecy is. And you say, hey Stephen, here's what I see in you. And you begin to just strengthen, encourage, and comfort them. And the whole room galvanizes behind that. And you go, oh, that wasn't so bad. That's really nice. Like He just got strengthened, encouraged, and comforted by the Holy Spirit in a public setting. Oh, that's what prophecy is? I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. And so to, to help kind of put it on the bottom shelf so that it's not this kind of brooding and scary and experts only thing. Uh, and start small. And then maybe you throw it to the congregation and say, hey, for the next couple of minutes, I just want you to pair up with a couple of people there in a little prayer group and just begin to strengthen, encourage, and comfort one another by the word of God. And you... Oh, sorry. Um, I think having a really... Uh, a good relationship with your leadership team, your worship team, and, and each other, and trusting each other is really important. Um, there's nothing worse than when someone steps out and then they get penalized for it, because that's just not God. Like, God's just so not like that. 
Well, the God I know is not like that. You know, he's like, yeah, you had to go, go you. Like, you know, it, I'm sure, like, I mean, all you guys have got kids. I'm sure, like, if your kid's playing soccer, if you're in England, um, and your kid's playing soccer, like football, um, or rugby if you're in Australia, um, and your kid, like, goes to, like, you know, kick a goal and they really like stuff it up and miss the ball and fall on their butt, you're not going to be like, you stupid idiot, you're never playing soccer again. <laughs> like you're going to be like, good on you champ, get up, good job. And like everybody on the t who is going for the same team, not only is the parent saying, good job, get up and try again, the whole, every parent on the team is saying that. So can we be teams who like, if someone steps out and they stuff it up, because We've all been in that place. I mean, I remember one church service where we were like, yeah, let's like sing out in the prophetic. And like someone who'd never done it just did it. And it was like so random. Like, I mean, everyone else was singing like, like great stuff that was totally leaning into everything that was happening. And this one person just goes, how can a nation be born in one day? And we were like, say what? <laughs> <laughs> We're like, okay, like, but, you know, we were like, how, that's awesome. Like, you know, like, how do we even help them to, like, get better at leaning in? And, and how do we celebrate the fact that they stepped out, you know? So let's, let's not penalize people because it, it is, like, it is hurtful, like, to go, well, I took a risk and then I got penalized for it. So, One tiny example, just a practical kind of thing. You know, Tim mentioned creating safe spaces, radical fringes on the margins, you know, other services, prayer meetings and all that. I think another way to do it in your main service is to, as Daniel alluded to this, is little prayer huddles in the middle of the service. It's very simple. It's, I mean, people have been doing this for a long time, right? But uh, every week at New Life Downtown, we have a prayer moment. And frequently it'll be, you know, it could be anything from, hey, let's pray over all the business people in our church today. Or let's pray over the medical community, whatever. Um, but, but frequently when people raise their hands, we'll say, why don't you just circle up around them, put a hand on their shoulder, and hey, you know what, this is a good moment to just ask the Holy Spirit if he has something for you to share with them. That's so, I mean, that's like, whoa, whoa, you know. But in that circle of three or four people, so what if, what's the worst that could happen if they mess up? I'm like, I just got this picture, or I got this verse, and okay, you know, and then only three other people heard it, so, you know. So anyway. The stakes are low. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fail on a small scale first. Yeah. How do we navigate changing the culture of our church toward the table? How do we navigate? Well, I'll tell you what Pastor Brady did. Uh, slowly. Incrementally. We don't have to do this in one week. Turn the ship in one week. And so uh, before Pastor Brady came, communion was probably quarterly around here. Um, maybe every six weeks or so, but usually quarterly. And so Pastor Brady said he was feeling this burden and, and had been reading up on this and thinking about this and praying about this. And, and he said, well, let's do it, let's do it twice a month uh, this first month. And, and, and so he would teach the church about it. And so just incrementally it became a part of the, the it got in the water around here. Uh, so you don't have to do it overnight and change it overnight. But um, was there a funny question? You guys are laughing. No, like what? The TV just turned off. It gave okay. us a countdown telling us it was going to turn off and then like, it turned you off. You know, this TV is basically giving Daniel all the answers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My fellow Americans. It's, it's actually <laughs> <laughs> growthy 2016. Four school years. And <laughs> anyway, you can do it slowly. Glenn, how, how do we... Uh, it's beautiful. Slowly is right. I just want to say one thing about that idea of changing culture. Andy Crouch wrote a brilliant book a few years ago called uh, Culture Making. 
And I think one of the big arguments he, he defends or, or, or puts forward in that book is that you don't actually change culture. You create a new culture that then crowds out the previous culture. Okay, so and I get the, the most uh, amazing example of this is your iPhone. Nobody said, let's make CD players obsolete. Or nobody said, let's make cameras obsolete. What happened is you made an artifact that all of a sudden played music and took pictures and so much more. And that new artifact crowded out the old artifacts. Does that make sense? So it, culture, if we were to kind of take our cues from a sociologist, or, you know, you'd say culture is at least these things. It's at least our language, our stories, our practices, and our artifacts. It's at least those four things. It's probably more, you know, but it's at least. So, so when you want to shift the culture of your church, really what you're saying is let's start using this language. Let's start telling these stories of encountering God or whatever. Let's, let's start doing this practice. Let's start creating these artifacts. What's an artifact to a church? I think it could be a service. It could be a prayer meeting. It could be a, new, you know, it's a, it's a tangible thing. Uh, it could be a, a, a booklet that teaches, you know, a pamphlet or whatever. So I, I would say whenever you're trying to change culture to church, you're actually not changing culture. You're creating something new that will eventually crowd out something old. Uh, TV is off. That might mean we're, oh, do we have another one here? One last, maybe one last question. Do we have a question? There it is. How do you facilitate a call to salvation when you have communion as the end of a worship service? Go ahead. <laughs> I've, got, I've not got an idea. Yeah. Well, I, I think in many ways, because um, we've been doing this a bit, I think communion is the perfect opportunity to briefly, succinctly communicate the gospel. And so we'll, you know, as we're doing communion, explain what it means and what Jesus has done and what this, you know, that his body was literally broken apart so that we could be made whole. And then celebrate communion. And then at the end, if you want to give your life to Jesus, yep. put your hand out, whatever, however you do it, I think it provides you an amazing opportunity. Yeah, yep. and, and for, for us at New Life Downtown, it's a little bit different at each of our congregations here at New Life, but... We say a prayer of confession every week before communion. So, I mean, it's, it's like the sinner's prayer, but the one that, like, came from Cranmer or, you know, 15, you know, in the 1500s. Or maybe before that, you could use Psalm 51. You could use whatever you want, you know. So, it's, but it is, a, it is a call to repentance. And I think one of the things you, you learn from our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters is the Christian life is about an ongoing repentance, so in some ways, you know, I used to joke that I went to, I responded to like 337 altar calls before I was 10 years old. But in some ways, that is what we're supposed to do. We're con every week we're supposed to continually say, Lord, I still need you. <laughs> I still need your grace. And so, so the, the call to the table is a call first to repentance. And so I'm, I'm conscious that for some people that's their first time. And I'll say that this might be the first time you've prayed a prayer like this. That's okay. You don't have to wait another week to re receive the, uh, the bread and the cup. You've prayed that, come on and receive it now, you know. So it is, it is rolled in. And then often we'll say, look, if this was that first moment for you, our prayer and ministry team are up here in the front. Come and talk with them about it. Let us celebrate with you. Let's pray with you more about that. This is maybe totally the other end of the scale. But, you know, we, like I agree like that communion is a beautiful time for people to encounter Jesus and accept him. Um, one of the other things we've been talking about is, is approaching everything kind of loose-handed and like willing to be flexible. Um, if it's not working for, to do this salvation article with communion, right, yeah, maybe just move it. Right, yeah. right. 
Like I, I'm like you know, there's a there's a massive thing of we will we do it this way and leadership does it this way. I think a great a great um, framework for like bringing that to people is like, like what if we just tried this one week and see what happens, and then maybe you'll find that like. Like, that's not even the issue. Maybe the issue is people aren't bringing unsaved people to church, and then you maybe need to address that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what do you think about taking the last few minutes here and having you just pray for one another at your tables and see if the Holy Spirit wants to say something through you to one another? Can we do that? Yeah. Caleb, I don't even know if the keyboard's hooked up. If not, we don't need it. If it is, great. But, you know, I mean, I don't know. Um, you tell me. Uh, or maybe there's just quiet music from the New Life Instrumental, whatever. Uh, do the Soak Project. But let's just take five minutes. <laughs> let's just take five minutes, Tim's. Anyway. Um, let's just take five minutes and do this, right? I mean, if any place is a place of encounter, let's make this one. Yeah. So, Holy Spirit, come. <laughs> We're leaning in. We're making space. We want to listen. Lord, give us a vision for someone at our table. Give us a, a verse or a scripture. Yeah, just surprise us. Just, we're making space. <laughs> 